Hello, this is Michelle from the podcast From Lost to Light, and I'm sitting here with my beautiful co-host, Angie. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Angie. How are you doing today? Doing good. How was your week so far? Well, it's just been crazy, you know, just trying to ship out orders, you know, building this business one one card at a time. Yeah. <laughs> if, if our listeners haven't uh, gone on to Angie's Etsy website, they should, especially with the holidays coming up. You want to just yeah. put a little plug in about your... Yeah. So I do. And actually, Michelle, I don't know if you knew this, but I did launch my website, um, a Shopify website. So I have my Etsy store still, but if it's more convenient for people to get on Shopify, um, I have that. And that has everything plugged in there, all my cards, uh, my blog that I have on there. And then also... Um, if you listen to the end, I have a little announcement that I'm going to offer everybody. So well, that's um, great. And then at the end, why don't you uh, revisit how they find you? Yes, I okay. sure will. All right. Well, today in house, we have a very special guest. Um, if you live in Council Bluffs, you, Iowa, you will be familiar with her. Or if you are from the Harlan, Iowa area, you're going to recognize her too. Today we have. Wednesday, Dawn Cooper. She was raised in the Harlan, Iowa area, like myself. That's where I'm from, that Shelby County. She now resides in Council Bluffs, and on her website, her mission is guiding people to the path of enlightenment. She holds a master's degree in human services and psychology. Her professional career has been in human services and as a college professor. She also is a very well-known entrepreneur and is the owner of Deja Vu Bakery and Boutique right here in the historic downtown Council Bluffs area. Her website says she offers personal guidance sessions, connecting with heaven sessions, and various food-related classes. So we're very excited to have Wendy here today as our guest. So let's get to it. Hi, Wendy. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have <laughs> yes, you here. Yes, welcome, Wendy. So let's just start the chat off. Um, I know that you have a lot to share with us, so I'm just going to let you take it from here. And at okay. some point, let us know um, where your path of loss or trauma started and how you found your way out of it. Okay, sounds good. Uh, well, I'm just going to, I think I'm going to start kind of just with like with the present day and then we're, I'm going to start from the beginning. Perfect. Yes. So um, first of all, my name is uh, Wendy. A lot of <laughs> a lot of people that meet me often want to call me Wendy because they're not familiar with the name Wendy. And um, if you know me well, you'll be like, oh, she's going to correct you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name. I had, I've never heard it before. Thanks. I got corrected once already. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't correct you um, because I'm snotty or a sassy, <laughs> sassy pants. Um, and I used to, you know, growing up, uh, which we're going to get to the kind of um, how it was for me, and I'll probably come to tears throughout um, our time together, uh, but I can draw myself usually back in. But um, first of all, tears are healing. Mm -hmm. I, I always, you know, I cry and I cry because I know that as I begin to cry, I am in touch with my emotions, which means I'm in touch with my center, the universe, um, our creator, as you know it. And I usually cry until I'm back to my sassy pants self. And so he always knows. God's like, there she is. <laughs> She's back. Yep, it's cleansing. <laughs> it Tear, is. Tears are cleansing. It is. So I, I just want to make sure that um, uh, I'm going to have a lot of teachings throughout my life story um, because I am a teacher. That's um, why I'm here on earth. And uh, to teach myself and to teach others along the way. Uh, but let's get back to my name. So my name is not Wendy. My name is Wendy Dawn. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's cool. Are you like a hippie? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, actually, I said, to be quite honest, I was born in 1973. And if you know me, you know that I don't wear shoes. Uh, um, I am, uh, often people say, you know, who are you? Like, and a lot of people say, well, I'm a grandma, or I'm a mom, or I'm this, or I'm that. And I'm like, no, you guys, none of that really matters to me. I mean, that's all good. And those are all things that you do. But who are you when it's just you? Mm -hmm. 
So I am picking wildflowers alongside of our beautiful Iowa highways with no matter where I go, vacation here, I have scissors with me and I fill up wildflowers and I do that because that's one of the things that brings me joy. If you have my bakery items, you know that um, my cakes and all of those are made with um, flowers that I grow in my edible gardens, um, as well as some wildflowers. Once I get all of our beautiful bees off of them, you may have a wild um, sunflower on your cake or something like that. And I, I'm a loud laugh. I laugh really loud, and I used to hate that. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you could be crying right now, so it's okay for me to laugh. Um, and I love babies. I love children. Um, a lot of people um, know that I have a heart for children Halloween, um, which is a beautiful holiday that was stemmed around um, making children happy um, in a time when um, it was pretty dark in the world and a lot of sadness. So they dressed our kids up um, before some... Um, Holy Days, I don't know if you guys knew that, um, and that's how Halloween came to be, um, by just wanting to see joy on children's faces. Um, so, uh, children are good, uh, they bring children to me at the boutique, um, just for me to touch or to smile or to give them stickers or whatever, so um, those, those are the things that make me who I am. Uh, and, you know, it took me, I am 50 years old now, for, <laughs> and it's amazing, um, I don't feel 50 as far as like my personality goes or um, even kind of how I look. Uh, I've looked many different ways throughout this particular life, uh, but I'm a baker now, so I'm on the curvy side. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm okay with it. You so. don't look curvy to me. <laughs> <laughs> curvy is good. Yeah. I know. And I'm like, when people use weird words for like women and our shapes and things, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, we're not allowed to say should in my presence because you know that is a very heavy word, uh -huh. right? It's okay to could, can, maybe, or might. And you, you know, as you hang out with me, you'll learn my language. Um, but, but I'm okay with it. So now, like, two out of three times I put the frosting away and maybe I'll eat just a little bit of it. Um, but... So that's who I am as a person, and it's taken me, uh, you know, I would say 50 years on this planet this time around to come to the um, fact that, you know what, I like me. I like every crazy, weird, human, wonderful thing about me, which makes it so easy for me to like you and you. and Self-love. Yeah, so... Um, so you're getting to know me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I said, uh, you know, it takes us um, a lifetime to get to, to that point. And it is my 100% um, hopes that to everyone that I meet, that I can help them to get to that point in their life. Because so many people have said to me, oh, my God, Wendy, you've got everything. You, um, you're so good and you're so kind and you're so, how can you be happy and how can you do all these things? And I'm like, listen, <laughs> you, you um, don't judge me because I went through hell to get to where I'm at now and I want you to get there on your own path. Uh, so that is my hopes. Um, I'm all about women empowerment. I love men too. I have a husband, um, but they're a whole nother species. Right. So I am really here. Um, uh, you know, I just, I serve women a lot and I, and I serve, um, people maybe who don't fit into, uh, society's norms. Uh, those are really the, um, my, my people, I call them. The people whose souls are just so pretty and so unique and so beautiful. That's awesome. That's really, really awesome. Yes. So we're going to let you continue. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're ready to kind of share. I am. Go backwards and bring us forward. I'm ready. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Yay. Okay. So um, like I said, um, and as Michelle said, I was born in Harlan, Iowa. I'm a small town girl. Um, I... I, uh, my, my parents, my parents, now I'm just going to kind of start there. I'm just going to let it kind of flow because it's always hard to get started because it gets pretty raw pretty quick. Um, but my mom's name is Thelma and, uh, she, uh, is a wonderful mother and my dad's name was Basil. And I, uh, my parents, um, I just remember them, you know, as like a family unit, I guess, from the get-go. I mean, that's, 
I just remember at some point being a toddler, like a little girl. And uh, I remember oftentimes my my mom and dad like fighting, um, like I feel like they maybe weren't meshed well. My dad, I remember um, a lot of drinking um, and I remember like finding marijuana like hidden in the and in the closet, and my mom always just kind of being kind of embarrassed because I remember like my my dad um, maybe you know like maybe not having her wear a bra when maybe she would have been more comfortable wearing a bra, things like that. So I just kind of those are like the earliest memories I have is just like things are weird, you know, like things in my household maybe are just weird, uh, and. I remember, uh, and this is going to get graphic, you guys, throughout this, so I apologize up front. Uh, so I'm going to just say that there's, you know, there's some things that are pretty raw here. Uh, but my, you know, my dad sexually molested me. And from the moment, like from the times that I can remember, even just being like three or four years old, uh, like sitting on his lap and just, and, and, and things just, and, and knowing like in, like knowing like in my little, my little baby soul and heart of mine is that this doesn't feel right. You know, like, um, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I continued to grow, you know, and my parents did get divorced when I was about five years old, I would say six, f somewhere in that kindergarten kind of age. And, uh, my dad had rights to see me. Like, I remember seeing him on weekends and things like that. And uh, as I continued to get older, uh, he, uh, it would, it kind of changed, you know, and uh, the sexual abuse and, and I, I remember like every instance and it doesn't matter. And, you know, one in three women um, are, are victims mm -hmm. um, of, yes. of sexual, and it's mostly by people who they know, people who are trusted adults. I, I'm a college professor, like right. you said. I teach human services, addictive studies, and counseling, um, and it's, it's fact. Uh, so, but I always remember being just a little child and always feeling different. Like, I was different. I was dirty. Uh, you know, I never felt okay. And I always knew, like, I was in great big trouble. Like, and, like... I am like I am at fault, but you were just a child. But a child, yeah. We we as children can't articulate those right. emotions, right? right? So yeah. So so that early childhood, parents got divorced. Um, my mom was a very um, good mother, very strict mother, but very loving. I mean, she had me and my two brothers, uh, one older, one younger than me. And, you know, it's hard, you know, right. being a single mom. And, you know, we lived in Harlan, and she did the best she could. She's the most hardworking woman that I know, uh, but uh, also very, raised very Catholic mm -hmm. and very conservative. Like we couldn't yes. talk about boobs or if there was something on TV or things like that, it would just, uh, so not only had I been perpetrated by my father. Um, and then as I got older, the, the perpetration continued until I was, I was like 13 years old. I remember was the last one. And, uh, I was living with him and my, my stepmother at the time. And my stepmom was out of town and, uh, he had me um, read some sexually explicit material um, in regards to fathers and their daughters, right? Mm -hmm. And then perpetrated me for the last time. I'm and so sorry. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I am okay now is what I'm telling you guys. You can feel every single emotion for me that you need to. I am okay now. Um. And then that happened with my dad, and I told my mom, and my mom didn't really know how to handle it, and so my mom looked for support through other family members. So then not only did I feel awkward and weird and dirty, but now everybody knew, right? And my dad's still walking around, um, you know, and has remarried and has two daughters and a son. And here I am, 12, 13 years old, uh, and I 
went to my family doctor, and my family doctor did the same thing to me. Well-known Dr. Fung in Harlan, Iowa. Um, I was one of his victims. So it's like after you've been, after you've been harmed, it's like you have this aura about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just, they like search you out. And I remember cousin, uh, there was a cousin, and he tried to get me to do something under the stairs in the dark too. And I was like, no. I finally was getting old enough to say no. And so I remember like all of those instances throughout my childhood. Yeah. Did you ever feel silenced? So, yes. And that, and that kind of comes... As an adult, I was silenced, uh, actually, which added to it. So my dad, so I'm, I'm in my teenage years now, let's just say. I'm in, so perpetration has all ended. Um, I, you know, that ended when I was 13. Dr. Fung had somewhere in that early, early adolescent age, too. Uh, but it stopped at around 13. And... I remember like being at the swim pool in Harlan and my dad coming there. And, you know, I still loved my dad. Like, I, you know. He's still your dad. Well, and it was just this weird, like, this was my normal. And I could never talk about it because he said if I talked about it, I was in trouble. And and it, it was just silence. And my mom, you know, here they all knew about it. But we went to a male psych, a male therapist. And I'm like, what am I to do with this? Like, males have been hurting me my whole life. Right. So, um, and Catholic, you know, and, and God. Small town. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. Yeah. And ugh, God, you know, and then there is like God, and I'm in this church and there's this God and, you know, and he's a father figure. And I'm like, there ain't no way. There is no way. And I, I remember just like blocking myself and thinking there is no way, first of all, that, that I could ever think of you that way. And I didn't. And I'm dirty anyway, and I'm going to hell and hell, and I'm in trouble, and I'm just outcast from from the moment I was born. Mm. (sighs) Here I am in my teenage years, known as the most bubbliest, friendliest, most outgoing girl in my high school, uh, always smiling, complimenting people. Very successful, you know, graduated, had two jobs all through high school. Wow. Did you date during high school? I did. I, I did. I did. I had a wonderful um, high school boyfriend, but I was all messed up still. Yeah. You know, um, insecure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And um, emotional, like what I was seeking. You know, I was always seeking. I was always seeking, always seeking, always seeking because... I didn't really understand, you know, and then I would see like other, I would see other females have a relationship with their dads and I just could not get it. I could not grasp it. I could not, I was like, wow. So how old were you when your dad passed away? I know he passed away. Yeah. So my dad passed away um, on January 2nd, 1992. So I was 18 years old. 18. Mm -hmm. Between that 13 age 13 and age 18, mm-hmm. was it ever discussed between you? Yeah, so no. Um, yes. So I was getting to that night, and then I lost it. Oh, I'm it. sorry. I, no, 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 no. I, I lost it earlier. So I was at the swimming pool, Harlan swimming pool, and I'm swimming like with my friends, and my dad comes because he was living in Harlan, and he comes to like the fence, and you know, like I didn't see him regularly anymore. He lived there, but he was like an estranged relationship. He didn't, ha- we didn't hang out or anything like that. And he comes to the fence, and he says, "Come here." And I go to the fence, and I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "I was just at the bar," and he said, "There's a rumor that you're telling people that I molested you." I said, "Yeah." Because I was in therapy and how it got out anyway. You know, I mean, how does it, you know, it gets out, small town. Right. And I'm like, yeah. So what am I to do with that? Right, yeah. And then he just kind of left. And I was like, okay. And then my dad, I went to see my dad. They thought it would, my dad then fleed and went to um, Florida with his new wife and family because he owed child support. Fifty dollars a month for three kids. By the oh, way, gosh. so he. Oh my. Yeah, yeah. God bless him. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, um, 
so he left and, you know, he was estranged then further. And I went and actually stayed with him and my stepmom, uh, still searching and seeking some sort of relationship in that weird sort of way. And while there, he and I, he was still sick. Like, I believe, first of all, I believe that pedophilia and um, the abuse that I'm talking about, that is a mental health disorder, just so everyone knows. That is a mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. It is very rarely curable, but it is treatable. Uh, And that is is how I, you know, how after I earned my degrees and I was, you know, I saw him that way. Okay. um, As he was ill. You know, mental health, bipolar, um, and all of these horrible things that stem from somewhere within his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, um, he said, I'm, I'm sorry, but he couldn't identify for what. But he said, I'm sorry. And I remember writing a letter, like I was 17 at the time, and I remember just writing a letter because that's what I do. I'm a writer. I, I write memoirs. I write journals. And uh, I just remember writing him and just saying, you know, I... I forgive you, and I love you, and things like that, you know, Um, and really didn't have much more contact with them. I maybe saw him once or twice, and he passed by suicide. Um, He took his own life, um, and that's probably something we'll talk about maybe at a later time is the lingo regarding suicide. Probably not right now, but... uh, and he was still very ill. So when he passed by suicide, he did it out um, side of Logan. There's like this little roadside park. And I can just picture him, you know, I have empathy for him because I can picture him out of money. His wife had kicked him out of the home because she'd found out about the abuse. Um, and he was just kind of at the end of himself. Uh, and I'm sure guilt and shame um, put him, you know, in handcuffs um, and put himself, you know, in a, in a horrible something that we'll talk about called hell um, that we put ourselves in, not God, but ourselves, um, where he resided for many years. Um, so. Wow. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot to take in for sure. Um, but thank you for sharing that for sure. You're a brave soul mm-hmm. because there's going to be some listener out there that's going to connect with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I did, um, so I did a YouTube channel. I don't do a lot on my YouTube channel. It's because I feel like I got out what I needed to get out. I need, I, I shared some very important teachings and a love that set me free. Um, so many people responded to that and said, oh, my God, that's me. And I said, that's all that matters because, you know what, everything we go through in life, um, we go through to overcome, um, which is what we're going to get to here. Uh, but so here I am, an 18-year-old girl. Um, and like I said, you know, I um, my, my high school years, you know, they were, they were good. You know, they're high school. I mean, now I've been out of high school for 30 years. Like, can you like, oh, my God, such a long time ago. <laughs> Thank you, God, though. I'm okay with that. Um, but I, you know, 18 years old, I was honorable, um, very, like I said, very outgoing, very bubbly, very friendly. I always had that nature in me. Uh, just, that's just kind of who I am. Uh, I, I know how it is to be poor. Um, how, I was a poor girl with the weird name. <laughs> that's who I was, you know. <laughs> and they were not kind all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but they are good now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so 18 years old and uh, graduated high school. Uh, good, you know, right? Uh, but I'm going to tell you now on the outside appearance of myself, um, I look good. But inside, I felt alone. I felt broken. I felt odd. And, you know, I remember sitting in a room all the time. Like, I would always sit in the room um, and look around and think, I am so different than all of these people. Wow. You know, just, I am not, I'm just so different. And that made me, like, feel, like, less than, you know? And... I know, like, and especially, like, in today's world with uh, TikTok and social media and all these things and all the, you know, so many girls that I work with, 
feel that way and are so busy like competing with each other and I'm like girl we are we are you know that movie Barbie that new movie it's a good movie it's all about like hi I like you you are wonderful you are good too you know so we are a network Um, we are all a network of human beings of women of souls all together I can see why you empower women why because you felt like you didn't belong, yeah. that you were different. Mm-hmm. And so now you wrap your arms around everybody. Mm. Yeah, because you know what? Um, we are all inside of love. Every single human being that was and is and is to come is within love. There is no one outside of love. And the world um, from thousands and thousands of years ago forgot that or was told differently. So um, 18 years old, uh, I had a friend who was going to go to beauty school and uh, in Council Bluffs, and I'm from Harlan, Council Bluffs. So I went to beauty school, met the father of my children, uh, he now lives in heaven. He passed on a few years ago. Uh, I, I'm an empathic medium, for those of you that don't know that about me. Most of you probably do, because I tell you you're having babies and the sex of your babies. And Please don't tell me I'm having a baby, because I'm 51. <laughs> Angie, you're good. Okay, good. <laughs> you're good. Uh, but yeah, which is why I actually had to sell my first business. You know, I used to own Wendy's Kitchen Boutique. Um, I opened that in 2020. And like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would come and I would always make my way around all the tables and uh, everyone was touching me and I was and all my energy was going on going out and I just had so much love to give that I you know I just was with everyone and wanted everyone to feel loved and touched and belonged and embraced and beautiful and amazing and um, it was a lot so I remember you know like back in the day when you know Jesus you know you know, just think about all the people touching him, you know, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Um, so went to cosmetology school here in Council Bluffs, met the father of my kids. Um, he um, is, he was, uh, he was, I was a Catholic school girl, you know, and I was um, strict bound by mom. I didn't dare sneak out of my house or anything, right? So... <laughs> So I came down here and met the father of my kids, and his name is Bobby Rockwell, and he was a long-haired Italian drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a harem of women around him all the time. And he saw me, and I saw him, and it was like lightning. He was like, who's that? And I was like, who are you? So <laughs> so long story short, um, we had a, um, I got pregnant. Um, dropped up a beauty school dropout. I'm gonna tell you if there if there's uh, lots to do wrong. I here's the thing about me. You know here's here's what what, what makes me um, such an interesting living testimony that love is alive, is that I've done it all wrong. <laughs> And you know what? So so I tell everyone, I've worn so many pair of shoes. I may not be wearing your shoes, but I've worn similar shoes, which is why I don't judge you. Yeah. There get, you go. I get you. So, uh, so yeah, so he was everything my mom would have died, which made him everything I liked. <laughs> so I got pregnant with my first son. His name is Bryant, and he's now 30 years old and has three daughters of his own and um, went on to have my son Chance. Um and Chance's birthday was on September 11th, and he has a daughter of his own as well. Um, so beautiful, beautiful boys, beautiful children. Uh, but during my time, so I'm in my, you know, I'm about 18 years old. I had Bryant when I was 19. And, uh, but when I, when I started dating Bobby, um, I started doing some drugs. Um, and at that point it was, uh, ju- it wasn't intensely. Um, I did drink alcohol as well. Alcohol, I would say was my first drug of choice. Uh, and then when, um, I moved, you know, but it, like, it wasn't like, I, I remember drinking. I had an older friend in high school and I drank a little bit. I don't want to say her name because you would know her, but she's <laughs> great. We had such good times. She was older than me and we, we would drink and, uh, and I was like, oh my God, this is like, I'm not this bad. 
this is so bad. Uh, but uh, it was a good escape for me. You know, uh, I, I did find at that point, um, I make light of it and I laugh about it, um, but uh, we'll, we'll get to the dark days. But I, uh, you know, I just did it in high school a little bit and met Bobby and then messed around a little bit with some more of the harder drugs like cocaine and methamphetamine at that time, uh, but got pregnant and moved home. Moved back to Harlan and uh, had many good years again. Uh, very professional jobs in Harlan. You know, was with uh, Bobby had went on and gone to prison uh, for being that dark-haired, harem-bearing <laughs> cocaine dealer that he was. <laughs> Yes, girls and guys. I know you're like, this is like some weird romance <laughs> novel. But the energy is amazing. It is, right? <laughs> and you know why? You know the best thing is? Because I don't live there now. I don't live back there. I exactly. live here. Yes. And uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, life, life is a beautiful lesson. And we have a very gentle amazing teacher who walks beside us. I had not yet met that teacher, but I will when I turn 29, and that's what changed my life. Wow. Isn't it crazy how my voice does that? Yeah, it's it is. It's beautiful. <sighs> so, beautiful. So, in my 20s, um, had Bryant, moved back home, Bobby got out of prison. We started dating. Again, I actually kind of reunified with him when he was in prison. Uh, and remember, here I am, young, in probably 20, 19, 20 years old, still, still broken. That didn't go away. Still felt alone. Bryant, my oldest son, that, that didn't heal that. That didn't cure that. I just kept aging, and life kept happening. But wherever I went, there I was. And I still felt four. <sighs> Not knowing what to do. And feeling so yucky. A lot of baggage inside you. Yeah. And don't know how to identify because you don't talk about it. And you, you know, you don't feel weird. You have been silenced. Um, so, Bobby's out of prison, right? Move. We lived in Harlem, but he, he's, uh, he did drywall and stuff. He was professional trade, worked in the trades. And uh, moved to Omaha. So here's little Harlem girl. And, you know, counts plus didn't really count just because that was, like, for a short time. And it was an apartment, and I was still young. And I wasn't – I mean, I did get a wild for, like, three weeks. <laughs> I got pregnant, went home. But um, – so we moved to Omaha, we, and we moved, like, to the heart of Omaha. So I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the Park Ave area. So here's a cute little Wednesday uh, with Bryant and Bobby living in this little townhouse with the interstate just zooming by. And I would always leave, like, my my purse, like, in my car with the windows down and stuff. And Bobby would always say, Wendy, you don't live in Harlan no more. You need to get that stuff in here. <laughs> I'm like, well, I didn't even think of it. Uh, so, so, and me and Bobby did really good for a while. Uh, you know, he, we were working. I was an insurance executive at that time, and he worked for um, a drywall company, very successful. You know, we were, like, middle-class Americans, right? It just happened to, you know, be felon, too. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you would never know it because we looked successful, right? And Bob, like I said, Bobby did good. And uh, not really drinking. You know, Bobby was never a drinker. And I really wasn't drinking at that point. I don't remember. Just doing great. And then Bobby's friends started coming out of prison. And we would kind of get together and, like, go out and dance. You know, normal things. That, right. and, but then it escalated. And uh, be... Before you know it, um, I, I ended up getting pregnant um, with my youngest son, uh, Chance. There's six years difference between them, so that's kind of the window that we're looking for. Uh, but somewhere there in those 20s, um, me and Bobby got very – I'm just going to talk about me. But Bobby has to be a part of it because what happened, um, he was very much there when it happened. But um, I was full-flown. And now, you know, I had, I had been drinking, had a little thing with drinking, but that all went away when I started doing methamphetamine hardcore. Because when you're doing a hard drug like methamphetamine, you don't need anything else because that has taken over everything. 
And I do want to just state for those of you who um, maybe are familiar with addiction who, or who aren't, um, I am a chemical and substance abuse teacher and I am a counselor now for those things. I um, have done those for years, but uh, when you're drinking, so say, um, if you, I don't know if either of you have struggled with alcohol, but some of us are born just part of our biology and our makeup. So there's this little guy inside and we'll just use alcohol and drug, the little alcohol and drug man in here, right? And so uh, take your first drink in high school like I did, right? Oh my God, I took that first little drink of Coors Light or whatever. And that little guy inside of me went, mm, did a little stretch. And then a couple weeks later, I'm like, oh my God, let's do that again. And so then I drank uh, maybe three beers really fast. That little guy inside of me went, mm, arms up and stretching. And then the more and the more I either drank or did my drug, that guy is, he is alive and kicking. And I'm laying down asleep because he's taken over. That's addiction. I have never heard of it described like that. Mm. Yeah. Either. So our job is, everyone, our job is to starve that guy, that stick. I always see him as like a little stick man. And I have to put him to sleep. And don't wake him up. Because if you wake him up, I don't care if he's been asleep for a week, a month, 10 years, or 50 if you wake that son of a gun up, he's alive and kicking, and you're going to lie right back down again. And that happened in my story. So somewhere in those times, it was after Chance was born, my addiction became that little man was standing up inside and I chose to use, but you know, do you really choose? Like I, and that's what I always say to people. Like if I would have like the first time that I ever took a drink or snorted a line or something weird like that, if I could have looked forward and saw myself, I would never have done that. Exactly. But addiction is only, that is only, um, it's not the addiction that we're treating. It's the broken Wednesday. It's Wendy who, no matter what, she still suffered as that four-year-old, three-year-old of sitting on her dad's lap in that weird emotional state of what in the heck is happening right now. Yeah. During, um, I, I mean, just one thought yeah. popped in my head. Yeah. So that little, little man inside you, yeah, the addicted man, yeah, addiction. It's as if. He had a hand. He was holding that little girl, Wendy, mm -hmm. hostage. Yeah. Picture this. So you see him? Yeah. See his hand holding me down? Yeah. Feel it? Yep. Yep. That's the visual that mm -hmm. popped into my head as you, you were talking. Yeah. Um, so does a heroin addict want to overdose? No. God, come on. Does an alcoholic want to take that next drink? I'm going to tell you. No, but you can't stop because you're just so hopeless. So somewhere in those 20s, so I don't know exactly my age because I lost track of my age, uh, but there came a point where um, I was so addictively using, in and, we were in and out of, in and out of jail, in and, you know, Bobby was in and out of jail, I was in and out of jail, we were breaking the law, we were doing horrible things, and um, CPS got involved. My mom, I think my mom called, and you know what, and, and his parents may have called once too, because um, I was codependent. If you know what codependent is, codependent, I could, do, I, I could do a whole lecture on codependency right now, but codependency means that you have bounced, so you have a spectrum. We, it's like, Wendy has a spectrum, right? And I'm supposed to, throughout this life, be on my spectrum. But as an unhealthy human or with someone, you jump onto other people's spectrum and you're living over there. So you completely forget who you are and you don't really know, like, who am I? What brings me joy? What are my interests? How am I feeling? What do I want to do? What do I not want to do? Uh, so I was codependent upon him because I was so broken and we were ill. We were sick. And so Bobby had left. He would, he would always say, I'll be right back. And he would never come back. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Like he, hanging out with mom and kids when you're, you know, trying to sling dope is not something you can do. Right. Right. And, and so at some point he kept leaving and here I am at home 
waiting, you know, because I'm sick and I'm waiting for him to come back, you know, because how am I, I remember like, I remember back in those days, like, I could not make it through the day if I wasn't under, because it was too sickening, you know, because when you get so addicted to something, you don't really, your body takes over, your, your body takes over. Yes. So CPS came and um, took the, took the kids, and many I could you know take hours to explain that whole process. But the long story short is our kids had been gone for quite some time, and they were in foster care, um, and um, went on to be adopted. I tried for you know they tried to help me for a year and a half get well and I just couldn't get it I couldn't do it and I could not I was still having I remember um, I just could not get well but there's something I, the point of the story is is that me and Bobby you know we would be um, we were we were you know what you would call just junkies we were sick okay it was uh, I remember uh, just being very sick it was just all, like homeless by desire homeless homeless we were homeless we were we were homeless and I remember um I was so all the world had lost all color I missed my kids so much I wanted my kids so much but I could not I could not break the chains I could not like there were chains on me and you lose like you lose your rational thought and always on the move. And we went to this house, and I remember um, I had lost my family. I had lost my job. I had lost my home. I had lost my kids. I lost, I didn't, I'd lost everything. I lost my, like, I just was empty. And I was sitting in this apartment, and, uh, Bobby had fallen asleep beside of me. And as I sat there, there was this guy who was sitting there, and uh, it's like he transfigured in front of me. And evil sat in front of me. And he said, what do you want? And I knew that the devil, evil, sat in front of me. And I said, if you give me my children back, my home, my family, everything back to me, I will give you anything you want. And he said, so shall it be immediately I felt like all like an all color drained from me and as he stared at me I like saw myself leaving with him like I saw like and I was like oh my god oh my god what have I done like what have I done oh my god what have I done and Bobby woke up like and I couldn't wake him I'd been trying to wake him up and and he woke up and he looked at me and was like what are you, what is it what's and he, and he said, oh, my God. And I said, I just sold my soul to the devil. And for the next several, several months, like, life was crazy. Like, I would, I would like, find myself out in the middle of the night, um, just prowling around barefoot and just, like, ravaging myself, like, like ravaging and searching and for something and could not find it. I would sleep on park benches. My feet were calloused. I didn't like eat or drink or for days. And I remember like crying out to my mom, like trying to call my mom and be like, mom, help me, like help me. And she'd be like, you're not well. And like hang up on me. And I remember, um, just like, I wish I could like show you just like the onslaught, like constant onslaught. You know, and Bobby used to try. We were living in his basement, his parents' basement at the time, and and he would try and like stop me, like don't leave. And I'm, I it was like I was just a caged animal, and I would just have to like get out. And like I was like, I was like my whole, I was a wreck, you guys. Hmm. Uh, and I and I don't even know how long it really went on for, but I remember like towards the end of it, I was walking in Omaha, and I, and 
I wasn't with Bobby much at that point because I just was like, I, I, I just was out like in like roaming around. And I remember every time I looked in someone's eyes, it was like, <gasps> like snake eyes. It was like, I, it was horrifying. Were you doing drugs during this time? No. I I had like stopped like you had stopped yeah like I hadn't even been now it was just survival. So I remember um, there was this church and I I have never been to the church since since then, but I do remember um, walking in like to this church and I remember being in the, the in like the the steeple area, like inside, you know, where they have the mass, you know, inside, right. inside the church. The chapel part. The chapel, yeah. And it was a Catholic church, you know, because that's, that is still my roots, you know, and that's mm-hmm. still, and I remember like I was in the chapel and I remember a priest was walking towards me and I fell to the ground and just started like <gasps> all over the place and having, and he was just staring at me. <sighs> And it's like, I don't remember, like, like he didn't help me. Oh, my goodness. Mm. <sighs> the one time you needed to lean into your faith more than ever. Yeah. And I think, like, I wonder, I always wonder, and I, I wrote a memoir, and I, um, and I talked about it in there, and just like, what did he see? Did he see a dead girl walking? Like, wow. You know, like, horrible. And I remember, like, the police would pick me up, and I'd be, like, venomous, like, spitting, and they'd have to, like, cover my head with a bag and, like, the psych wards. I mean, it was crazy. And at some point, they stabilized me. But it was still in there. I still felt it in there. And I was able to find safe harbor at Bobby's parents' house. And that's where the DHS worker um, said, you know, one day it's not too late. She's the only one. She's the only one like my family had forsaken me. That gave you hope? Yeah, well, she just said, there's there's still time. And, you know, it's like she could see me for the first time, like, in my life. Like, someone saw me and, like, saw, like, my suffering, suffering that I would never have asked for. And she said, you know, there's something you can do. And I said, um, I, will, I will do anything to see my babies. Wow. I hadn't seen my babies for so long. And people are like, well, if you saw your babies, you'd love, you would have tried. Okay. Okay, thank you for that. So she said, Wendy, Heartland Family Services, right? So I started going to Heartland Family Services, and that's where it used to be up in the Omni Center, kind of on that right. corner there, yeah, yeah, back in the day. And I'd had three, been through three counselors um, and still was not maintaining sobriety, but I was going. But they kept leaving. Like, they kept, like, leaving. Like, I had a counselor, and then she would see me for a couple times, and she'd, like, leave. And I'm like, okay. So abandonment and... You know, and then I had another counselor, and she saw me for a while. And you know, because I don't know if you know this in the human service field, but they don't always pay a lot, so people leave right. a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true. It's not cool. Um, and uh, I was seeing this one counselor, and uh, she said, "You know, I went. I'm, I'm leaving." And I'm like, "Oh!" And you know, she didn't really like me anyway, because I, you know, here, you know, I'm still that dead girl walking. I'm just. You know, not as, I had shoes on, let's just say, at that point. So I, you know, I had some, something under me. And uh, I was sitting in Heartland Family Services, feeling, had my head down, hopeless, feeling like, how, 
have you got to this point? You have nothing. You can't, why can't you just stop? Why can't you just stop using one day? Hating myself and belittling myself. And I heard someone say, hi. And I looked up and there was this light brown haired woman in casual clothes like could have been really a woman or a man just very um neutral but soft the biggest most beautiful sky blue eyes I'd ever seen and I looked up and I said who me and she said you look familiar and she kept walking. And my heart said, who is that? I recognize that energy. Who is it? And I knew more than anything on earth that I needed to see that person again. Wow. That is absolutely stunning. I'm just sitting here with my mouth open right now. Me too. Um, so we are going to end this episode with Wendy right now. And um, we our next episode that we'll release will be the continuation of Wendy's amazing journey. And I'm just, I am so ready for it already. Oh, Ange, <laughs> I don't know if I can wait two weeks. I but... know. <laughs> we might have to like do something in between. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Wendy. <laughs> yeah. My heart has been just beating Mine rapidly. Too. Mine too. Yeah. I'm kind of sweating a little. Um, but this is amazing. And courage. Thank you. Courage. Thank you. Yes. The, your, your story so far is heartfelt. It's just, it's traumatic. It's um, beautiful. And I'm just, I'm, I want to hear more. So we are going to end this episode right now. But um, I wanted to say, if you stayed and listened to the whole thing, um, like I said in the beginning, I have a card business, Butterflies and Halos. You can go to www.butterfliesandhalos.com. And um, I have a discount for anybody that listens to our podcast. And you can either purchase that on my website or Etsy. And it's podcast 15. And you can get 15% off your entire purchase. So um, write that down. Go visit my website, my Etsy store, whatever you feel comfortable doing. And um, stay tuned for the continuation of one day. See you all next, next time in two weeks.